Hey kids, thanks for tuning in. It's another episode of Green Beans, Mushroom Soup, and Strawberry Ice Cream. I'm Mark Gladstone with another installment of Icons. This time around, it's part three of the Rolling Stones. We made it to 1973 and Goat's Head Soup at the end of part two, last episode, and we're basically just picking up right there where we left them. It's Only Rock and Roll is the next album chronologically, the 12th British and 14th studio album in the US, released in 1974. Significant for a few reasons. Number one, the title. For that era, it's such a great title, and so obvious that you'd have thought someone else would have thought of it by then. Mick Jagger to the rescue. He wrote the song and recorded a demo of it with David Bowie first. Keith Richards heard it, thought it was amazing, and convinced Jagger, without too much persuading, I'm thinking, to record it with the Stones instead of Bowie. Here's Richards' own words on the subject. Shit, Mick, what are you doing it with Bowie for? Come on, we've got to steal that motherfucker back. And we did, without too much difficulty. Just the title by itself was so beautifully simple, even if it hadn't been a great song in its own right. I mean, come on. It's only rock and roll, but I like it. Significant reason number two. It's the last Rolling Stones album for guitarist Mick Taylor. Taylor had had some health problems, so he missed the initial recording of the album, and when he got back, it seemed he and the band were pulling in opposite directions. The band had moved on, so to speak. Mick Taylor quit the band a few months after the album's release, and Keith Richards says to this day that he doesn't really know why. But whatever, time keeps on ticking, right? Add to that, Ronnie Wood, Taylor's eventual replacement, was involved in the songwriting and the recording of the album's title track. And number three, the album marks the first appearance of the band's newest producer, or producers, actually, in The Glimmer Twins. Jimmy Miller was out, a result of his heroin addiction, and The Glimmer Twins were in, better known as Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. The album didn't do as well as previous albums, however, and that same fate awaited the release of the following album, Black and Blue, released in April of 1976. Here's a few fun quotes from critics about the album. Lester Bangs wrote in Cream magazine that the heat's off because it's all over. They really don't matter anymore or stand for anything. And this is the first meaningless Rolling Stones album, and thank God. Critics are fun, huh? The reviews weren't all bad, though. Some rating the album at an A-. That's pretty decent. Keith Richards offers that the album was a sort of audition for guitar players. Harvey Mandel and Wayne Perkins both appear on this album as potential replacements for Mick Taylor, both eventually losing the position to Ronnie Wood. Black and Blue was also produced by the Glimmer Twins, and it was promoted with a fairly controversial billboard on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. The model, Anita Russell, was very erotically bound from head to toe with rope, sitting, legs spread, seemingly on top of the black and blue album, open on its edge to show both front and back covers, 
with her hands bound together at the wrists, suspended by a rope from above that disappears out of picture. Oh yeah, and a few bruises. The caption on the billboard read, I'm black and blue from the Rolling Stones, and I love it. Shouldn't be a problem, right? The billboard was removed after protests by the feminist group Women Against Violence Against Women. And of course, like all those types of things, the band got huge press coverage because of that. The album generated only one top ten hit in the ballad Fool to Cry. So let's hear that one right now. From 1976's Black and Blue, this is the Rolling Stones on Pacific Northwest Radio. Working all night long I put my daughter on my knee And she said Daddy What's wrong? She whispered in my ear so sweet You know what she said She said Ooh, daddy, I'm a fool to cry. 
icons and part three of the Rolling Stones on green beans, mushroom soup, and strawberry ice cream. I'm Mark Gladstone, and you just heard Fool to Cry from 1976's release, Black and Blue. I mentioned in part two of this series that things were heating up in the heroin department, especially when Keith and Anita were around, although in Keith Richards' own words, he'd clean up for tours. But you know, in the middle of a tour, someone would give him some shit, and then he'd want more. Isn't that always the way? And then you have to wait until the tour's over because you can't try to clean up on tour. Of course, it gets lonely on tour, too, and the Rolling Stones were on top of the world, which made them the top of the groupies list, too, though Keith in particular didn't care for one-nighters. Sometimes he'd hang around for a week. I'll let him tell you about it. Melbourne, Australia. She had a baby. Sweet, shy, unassuming. She was on the scuppers. The old man left her with a kid. She could get me pure cocaine, pharmaceutical. And she kept coming to the hotel to deliver. So I went, hey, why don't I just move in? Living in the suburbs of Melbourne for a week with a mother and child was kind of weird. Within four or five days, I was like a right Australian old man. Sheila, where's my fucking breakfast? Here's your breakfast, darling. It was like I'd been there forever. And it felt great, man. I can do this. Just a little semi-detached. I'd take care of the baby. She went to work. I was husband for the week. Changed the baby's diapers. There's somebody in a suburb in Melbourne who doesn't even know I wiped his ass. That last bit was taken from Keith Richards' book called Life. Imagine reading that and realizing that you were that baby, that Keith Richards wiped your ass. Anyway, back to the music. We're all the way up to the Stones' 14th studio album now, released in 1978. It was called Some Girls. It's the first album to feature Ronnie Woods as a full-time member. Some Girls was huge for the Stones and served to help them rebound from the critical disappointment of Black and Blue. 
It reached number one on the Billboard 200 album chart and became the band's top-selling album in the U.S., selling more than six million copies by the year 2000. Songs like Beast of Burden, Shattered, Respectable were all hit singles. And then, of course, there was Miss You, which reached number one in the U.S. and Canada, number three in the U.K., and top ten in many other markets. Two things figured heavily during the recording of the album. The first was disco music. It was huge, and it definitely factored into songs like Miss You on this record. The other was Richard's highly publicized heroin possession bust in Toronto, Ontario. It was possible he might go to jail for years. Of course he didn't. The judgment considered that he was separate from the usual theft and antisocial culture that was associated with heroin users. And he was ordered to perform a charity show for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind in Oshawa, Ontario, instead. There was a bit of controversy because of the lyrics to the title track, Some Girls, and Atlantic Records tried to get the band to drop the song. But Jagger said the song was intended as a parody of racist attitudes, apparently saying, I've always said, you can't take a joke, it's too fucking bad. The line, black girls just want to get fucked all night, drew strong protests from more than a few places. Yeah, that's a bit over the line, probably. All right, shut up and play. Here's four in a row from this iconic album, starting with my favorite from the album, Just My Imagination. Then the two biggest hits from the album in Beast of Burden and then Miss You. And the last one, one of Mick Jagger's best, I think, Shattered. All from the album Some Girls, released in 1978. This is the Rolling Stones on Pacific Northwest Radio.
was four in a row from the Some Girls album. You just heard Shattered, and before that was Miss You, Beast of Burden, and we started off with a song that shows what you can do with two chords and the right songwriters. Just my imagination. Moving up to 1980 now, and the recording of Emotional Rescue, the Rolling Stones' 15th British and 17th American studio album. The band was bigger than ever, following the success of their biggest album to date in Some Girls. Joined again by Ian Stewart and Nicky Hopkins on keys, Bobby Keys on sax, and Sugar Blue on harmonica. The album topped the charts in six countries on its release, the UK, the US, and Canada among them. Emotional Rescue was recorded throughout 1979, first in Compass Point Studios in Nassau, Bahamas, then Pathé Marconi in Paris, and finally some overdubbing at the Hit Factory in New York City. It was the first album recorded after Keith Richards' exoneration for heroin possession, and the band apparently recorded a couple dozen songs, picking only ten for the album. A couple of the songs not picked would show up on Tattoo You, but before we talk about that album, let's play a song from Emotional Rescue. This is She's So Cold, The Stones in 1980. You're listening to Pacific Northwest Radio. Oh 
back with green beans, mushroom soup, and strawberry ice cream. I'm Mark Gladstone, and this show is called Icons, Part 3 of the Rolling Stones. We just heard the song She's So Cold from the Emotional Rescue album, released in 1980. And I mentioned just before the song that several of the songs recorded for that album weren't actually picked for the album and found their way onto the next album, Tattoo You. Late 1980 and into 1981 was a tough time for the Glimmer Twins. Jagger and Richards were not getting along, and with album contracts and tours to fulfill and get ready for, Chris Kimsey, associate producer, spent three months sifting through the past five years of recorded but unreleased material to find enough for another album. That album would become Tattoo You. It included the song Start Me Up, which originally was supposed to be a reggae song written by Richards years ago. The songs Tops and Waiting on a Friend were originally recorded in 1972 during the Goat's Head Soup sessions and actually featured Mick Taylor on guitar, and he wasn't credited on the album initially either, later demanding and receiving a share of the album's royalties. Here's a quote from Mick Jagger, regarding the album. I think it's excellent, but all the things I usually like, it doesn't have. It doesn't have any unity of purpose or place or time. And maybe that's because it was mostly pieced together from previous years of recordings. The album title was originally supposed to be simply Tattoo. And to this day, Jagger says he has no clue how the U became attached to the title. That caused even more friction between Jagger and Richards, though, with Richards suspecting that Jagger had changed the title without seeking his input. The album cover won the Grammy Award in 1982 in the Best Album Package category. It was the first Grammy Award for the Rolling Stones. I'm going to play three songs from this mixed-up album, starting with the best one, a song called Waiting on a Friend, featuring... Sonny Rollins on saxophone, also uncredited at first, and then a massive hit for the Stones in Start Me Up, which finally worked once Richards got past the reggae idea, and then the song Hang Fire, all from Tattoo You, all released in 1981, and all on Pacific Northwest Radio.
That was three in a row from the Rolling Stones' Tattoo You album, released in 1981. You just heard Hang Fire, and before that, Start Me Up. And we started with Waiting on a Friend, one of their better ballads, in my opinion. We jump up to 1983 now, and the first release of all new recordings in the 1980s, and maybe the most uneven collection of songs. The album's called Undercover, and it was recorded during some of the band's most tense moments. Richards and Jagger were not getting along at all, with Jagger wanting to explore all the latest trends in music like reggae, world beat, and new wave, but Richards wanting the band to return to their blues rock roots. As a result, half of the album explores some new sounds and half of the album is roots-based rock and blues. So I'm going to play two songs from this album, one of each. It was the first album in 10 years to miss dropping at number one on the U.S. album charts, and it was the last album recorded during the life of Ian Stewart, former member of the band and a keyboardist on every album so far, except some girls. Of course, it is still a Rolling Stones album and went on to sell over 3.5 million copies worldwide. I'm going to play the almost title track, Undercover of the Night, written by Jagger, and a more straight-ahead Keith Richards song, She Was Hot, from 1983's Undercover album on Pacific Northwest Radio. Fathers act so humble. All the young girls, they've got 
You're listening to Green Beans, Mushroom Soup, and Strawberry Ice Cream with me, Mark Gladstone, as your host. And part three of the Rolling Stones on a series called Icons. You just heard a couple of tunes from the Undercover album released in 1983. Last one was She Was Hot. And before that, Undercover of the Night. That was the biggest song from the album, reaching number three in the U.S., but overall the album was a bit of a disappointment for the band. And that brings us to the last album, the last song on this show, from the 18th British and 20th American studio album, released in 1986. The album's called Dirty Work, produced by Steve Lillywhite. Richards and Jagger barely spoke. The band as a whole wasn't getting along because of it, and were rarely in the studio at the same time. As a result, the album saw maybe the biggest infusion of guest musicians appearing, including drummers Anton Figg and Steve Jordan, Jimmy Page, Bobby Womack, Ivan Neville, and Tom Waits. Keyboardist Chuck Level returned again as well from the Undercover album. There was also no supporting tour for this album, as the level of animosity between members made it impossible to be on stage together. The album sold well, but was a critical flop, only spawning two singles in Harlem Shuffle, which was a cover tune, and the song I'm About to Play, written by Ronnie Woods, one hit to the body. The divide between Jagger and Richards was on public display on July 13, 1985, while the album was being recorded, when Jagger performed a solo set at Live Aid, while Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood supported Bob Dylan's set on acoustic guitars. From Dirty Work, the song One Hit to the Body, from 1986. You're listening to Pacific Northwest Radio.
That was One Hit to the Body from the album Dirty Work, released in 1986, a song written by Ronnie Woods initially. And that's a wrap, kids. Thanks for listening to Green Beans, Mushroom Soup, and Strawberry Ice Cream, and this show called Icons, featuring the Rolling Stones, Part 3. I've got one more of these coming up in the near future to take the band into the present day. We can't very well leave them where they are now, can we? All the fighting, the pulling in two different directions, the no touring. We gotta kiss and make up, right? Well, we'll see. Remember to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or something like that. I think I got that right. Anyway, be nice. I think that about covers it. Smile at people. Don't avoid eye contact. That kind of stuff. It's really not that hard. Until next time, this is Mark Gladstone signing off. Good night, kids. <laughs>